0: It's time for our Shapiroet with Bruce, of course, Exec Director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. Bruce, a lot to get through. Let's start with Biden's trip to Israel last week. What do you think he was hoping to achieve?
1: Well, you know, in the wake of of the Hamas pogrom, which is the only word um, to describe the horrific attacks on southern Israel. Um, And then in the wake of Israel's spasm of retaliatory bombing, which, as the New York Times says this morning, has now killed more civilians uh, in Gaza than any any conflict in the last 15 years. Um, The Biden administration seems to be playing a, a, a very unusual role for an American White House in its relationship with Israel. Bear in mind, first of all, the domestic politics of this, that these attacks, the Hamas attacks, and then Israel's response are roiling universities, Muslim communities, Jewish communities um, all over the country. People are, in fact, here gripped by a welter of emotions, um, complex and contradictory. And Biden, in his speech to the American public, I think, recognized that. He spoke to the unique history of anti-Semitism. But also, and this is the unusual part, um, in Israel and and here, he has, on the one hand, been, as most American presidents do, um, embracing Israel as America's ally. And calling for billions in aid, and I think any American president would, we would be expecting to do the same. Um, Whether that's good politics or bad politics, that would have been the political reality. But Biden's taken this other unusual step, which is issuing these, not only public and private calls for restraint, but clearly pressing the Israelis to slow it down, um, to um, not rush forward with with the ground invasion. In fact, repeatedly invoking um, the most important lessons from America's response to 9/11, which you know Biden voted for the invasion of Iraq and then came to badly regret that vote, and we're now kind of treated to the spectacle of. Of an Israeli government and military in disarray, lots of internal criticism in, in Israel of how uh, the last the the political divisions of the last months um, played out and the run up to this and and where there clearly is a lot of division over what the goals are of any ground invasion or indeed of of the bombing that goes on and on and on and on now there's language about the questioning when or even if there will be a large-scale ground invasion and that says to me that the biden administration along with other international partners who are like macron who are going to israel on the one hand but on the other hand using every opportunity to pull back from the brink of a regional conflict. There's a sense that the stakes are very high. Bruce, and, I yes. fully accept your argument that the
0: embrace of Israel is uh, is inevitable, but uh, what about the physical embrace? Biden hugging Netanyahu. What the reaction to bear-hug diplomacy, if you please?
1: Well this is This is first of all, Biden beating Biden. But I also think um, it, it, he's got a particular tactical relationship to Netanyahu. Um, that has been the case for a while. If, if you go back even to the Obama administration, there were divisions within the Obama administration. Um, much of of the the foreign uh, diplomatic corps and much of the White House. Really tried to keep an arm's length from Bibi Netanyahu and found dealing with Israel very difficult. Um, Biden's approach was to keep, even as vice president, was to argue for keeping Netanyahu as close as he could. I mean, this is a this is the way he does politics. You know, I also think that there is. A long game. Biden had hoped, up until two weeks ago, you know, to be, uh, and still hopes, I think, to be the president who can remake the peace equation in the Middle East. And on the one hand, it's farther off than ever before. The combination of of Hamas pogrom and war crimes, Israeli bombing of civilians, which is a war crime all of these um, back-and-forth horrors can make peace look further off than ever before. I I think Biden is trying to create conditions in which um, a a, a Palestinian Authority can reemerge, etc., but that's not going to happen if there is complete chaos in in Gaza. So there's a, a pragmatic side to Biden, and then there's just the way he... The way he works with people, he decides our allies.
0: Bruce, the most significant announcement to come out of Biden's Biden's visit was getting Egypt and Israel to agree uh, to allow a limited number of trucks uh, to carry aid into Gaza.
1: Well, and there's bearing in mind that there's two sides to this, right? It is two partners in this. It's Israel and Egypt. 20 trucks clearly is a, a a drop in the bucket of the vast need, which existed in, in Gaza even before Israeli bombing. Um, and clearly, the pressure behind the scenes is on both countries, Israel and Egypt, to get that humanitarian aid flowing at the rate that it needs. There is a desperate need for fuel. There is a desperate need for um, for for food, for medical aid. And whatever is going on in the politics of governance with Hamas, the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza is something that the world is not does not want to be part of. And, you know, Biden has made this clear over and over again um, whether it's enough to pressure both Israel and Egypt. And that's the other crucial part, right? I mean, Egypt has its own interest in keeping the door to Egypt from Gaza closed. That's driving this just as much as. Um, israeli's retaliatory bombing and and it's a very complicated equation
0: bruce uh, biden is not calling for a ceasefire at
1: this stage is he no he is not um clearly um or at least not publicly uh i think it's also not clear what a ceasefire would mean that is to say a ceasefire there's a are we talking about a unilateral ceasefire on Israel's part or genuinely opening up a space for negotiation the other piece in all of this of course are the is the hostage negotiations which are driving israeli politics as well as american politics and um, the, you know the us many parts of the us left would be pressing for a ceasefire, progressives within the Democratic Party are. Um, I think, I, I think Biden, Biden is trying to use language that Israel can accept, or that the that the that the coalition government, the new war cabinet, can accept. And I think that's probably why there's no call for a ceasefire. It's also very much like Ukraine. You know, I do think that that as with Ukraine. Biden has decided that there is um a, a democratic governance interest in identifying Hamas as an authoritarian um terrorist movement.
0: Now Bruce Biden is facing scrutiny from uh, people in the younger and more liberal wing of the Democrat Party who are more divided over the issue than uh, the party centrist and older leaders.
1: Well, certainly. I mean, look, even the campus where I teach, Columbia University, um, has been roiling with demonstrations and counter-demonstrations with... Um, it, Israeli and Jewish students, who often are, including those who have been profoundly committed peace activists, um, feeling quite isolated and unseen, and Palestinian activists in immense pain. I, you know, I have uh, students. Uh, Israeli and Palestinian students who for days were not able to reach their families and who were affected and and remain to be affected in profoundly personal ways. And that's driving the politics of of younger progressive voters around the country, groups that that Biden needs to pay attention to. Um, At at the same time, Biden clearly does have a grand strategy for the Middle East um, that has been blown up by all of these events, and he is trying desperately to recover.
0: Now, complicating all this is the chaos on uh, Capitol Hill. Two weeks, still no replacement for McCarthy. What is going on?
1: Well we you know we we saw the Republicans only deepen their conflict last week when perhaps the most polarizing figure ever to run for speaker uh, Jim Jordan uh, Donald Trump's staunchest ally in Congress. Um, made his pitch last week, and he did it in this very unusual way. He did it by threatening and bullying the very members of his own caucus who he wanted to vote for him. Um, that did not go down well, um, and it led to to his rejection on three different ballots uh, with accelerating defections each time. You know, we're going to be taking, the Republicans in Congress will be taking another vote. There are now eight individuals who've put themselves forward, new voices. I think the um, the most likely candidate uh, is Congressman Emmer from um, Minnesota, who um, was the deputy to uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is somewhat respected by um, both conservative and more moderate wings. However, the Trump faction in this narrowly, narrowly divided caucus um, hates him because he's not Trumpy enough. (laughs) So that may fail, too. And if that happens, really, the Republicans are going to be faced with a very stark choice, which is to make a coalition with Democrats to enable both something like bipartisan governance to go forward to come up with a, a, a compromise candidate or to elect the current speaker pro tem who has no power to make him um, empower him as speaker um, or to simply give over Uh, the power of governance for the next year. I mean, this this can either be solved or it's going to go on and plunge the government into a more profound crisis than it's ever faced.
0: Now, a Washington Post columnist made an interesting argument uh, that this speaker chaos could be a blessing in disguise because it might, just might, push Republicans to, uh, or confront extremists in their own ranks and encourage bipartisanship. What do you
1: reckon? yeah, e. j. down, the great great columnist, makes that point uh, this morning. and i i there's there's a lot to that. I mean, look, this this is driving a wedge between pragmatic conservatives and and those who have completely embraced Trump populism. And that is, you know, we can't know where that's going. On the other hand, i I have to say that to achieve that kind of outcome, to achieve a turn, toward bipartisan governance, which would be a profound rejection of um, the trajectory of American politics since 2016, um, would require a kind of public courage that thus far has been lacking even among most moderate Republicans. It would require them to definitively turn away from former President Trump, from his faction and 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 be unafraid of making common cause with Democrats in the interests of getting budgets passed and and dealing with foreign crises and generally doing the business of government. Um, and that that kind of courage is something we haven't yet seen from this Congress.
0: A small matter, our own Prime Minister is there in Washington DC. At the moment, is the chaos in Congress uh, casting a a bit of a pall over the visit?
1: Well, you know, he's not gonna get to give a speech to Congress, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's gonna happen. Um, Look, it only complicates what's already a complicated moment, but bear in mind that to the Biden administration this the uh, AUKUS deal and this visit with Albanese are a, a crucial part of the administration's pivot to engaging uh, differently with China and the the prospect of coming confrontation with China gives urgency to this visit it's actually um, you know, it's not a a uh, a secondary thought here. There's, I think, the administration is trying to prove that when it comes to foreign policy, even most amid the most profound um, crisis in the Middle East since 1973, this administration can walk and chew gum at the same time. Okay. Bruce, it, it can in engage a, in, in a minute or less.
0: Can you bring us up to speed with the latest in uh, Trump's ongoing legal saga? Tell me about Sidney Powell.
1: Oh, and this you know, Sidney Powell was one of the president's attorneys and most forceful advocates during the uh, election denial phase, the key election denial, and she's now pleaded guilty in Georgia, and as part of pleading guilty, she's given videotape testimony to prosecutors. They've got the goods. This is a moment of distinct peril. Uh, he's also fuming in his uh, federal trial over the gag order imposed by uh, Judge Amy Chutkin last week. She's briefly temporarily lifted it to look at appeals, but it, which he ru- then rushed in with um, a, uh, a forceful condemnation of the prosecutor, Jack Smith. Um, he's trying to go up to the line but not cross it. The reality is that the, the former president's legal options are narrowing, Um, his prospects are worsening. And combined with this, um, with what's going on in Congress, there is the real possibility in coming months that the dynamic around former President Trump is going to change in a profound way.
0: Bruce Shapiro, thanks for that. Bruce, of course, contributing editor with The Nation and exec director of the Dart Center for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University.